The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. Hey there, I'm Leslie Marshall. Good afternoon and welcome or welcome back to the only true democracy in talk radio. It is Friday, TGIF. And thank you for joining us, however you get the show. Some of you are watching this live. Uh, You're watching us on Twitter's Periscope, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, LinkedIn Live. You're listening live on radio, on stream, or maybe you're listening when you can, if you can't listen live, on our podcast. Whichever way you get the show and listen and watch. Of course, both, because, hey, i got to shut that off. Uh, Potential spam, my bad. Uh, Whichever way you are watching us. Um, or listening to us, you're still listening to us, right? Because if you're watching, you're listening. Um, on this Friday, we have a guest that hasn't been with us for a couple of years, uh, too long, and it's good to have her back. Uh, joining us today is Leanne Foster. Ms. Foster is International Vice President of the United Steelworkers, and they are North America's largest industrial union. You know, there are 1.2 million members and retiredly strong in the United States, and not just here, but in Canada and the Caribbean as well. And they proudly represent men and women who work in nearly every industry there is. People always just just think steel. It goes beyond that, way beyond that. Anyway, Leanne served the union for more than 25 years, working to negotiate strong contracts, advocate for sound trade policies, facilitate educational opportunities, and fight for safer workplaces. She oversees more than 550 locals, more than 30 bargaining councils in the paper sector of the United Steelworkers. Example, don't think of you know steel with paper. You got it. Uh, she also leads the union's making and converting paper safely program, and that's to build worker-focused health and safety initiatives in the paper sector, as well as overseeing the USW Women of Steel Leadership Development Program. Uh, which uh, is an incredible program. Check out about these programs and more and about everything, not just steel, the United Steelworkers do at usw.org. Please follow them on Twitter and Instagram, the handle at Steelworkers. And speaking of health, speaking of safety, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about a holistic approach as well. Uh, thank you for joining us, Vice President Foster. It's good to have you with us this afternoon. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Leslie. It's great to be here again. And, and good to have you back. We don't have to have as much time elapse. I think Mark said that uh, off the air. Um, you know, a, a lot of people may not realize that it's not just negotiating how much somebody makes when you're at the bargaining table, but it's also talking about worker protections. And that just doesn't mean how many days off they get, uh, you know, or if they get a pension. It also has to do health and with safety in the workplace, ensuring that workers are an active part of workplace health and safety plans, and that the employers see that engaging with the workers is key to meeting those health uh, and safety responsibilities. And uh, I, you know, no one understands like work, what happens in the facility or how to accomplish the work safely. In the paper sector alone at USW, you guys have been making significant progress. Can you talk to us about that, about some of the progress specifically in the paper sector the USW has been making with health and with safety? Sure. Um, I'm happy to talk about it. I, you know, one of the things I want to say at the beginning is we still haven't gone far enough. Um, you know, one fatality is way too many. 
Um, but we went through a period of time um, in 2014 and 15 where we just had an overwhelming amount of fatalities and life-altering injuries. And when I say life-altering injuries, I'm talking about things like, you know, losing a leg or losing a hand, um, something that can just dramatically change your life going forward or second or third degree burns um, across your body if you're, if you're lucky enough to survive. So we really needed to focus our efforts. And, um, you know, we were part of the paperworkers union and then PACE before we merged with the steelworkers. And after we merged with the steelworkers, we really um, focused in on self, health and safety and had a lot of great resources that the union had already put in place for us to basically um, borrow from and steal from in terms of collective bargaining language and programs that were put in place. So we were lucky to be a part of the steelworkers. And we also reached out to our brothers and sisters um, across the pond uh, in the UK who had already put together a Making and Converting Safely program. So we reached out to our allies. You know, whenever you're in trouble, you reach out. And um, we put together um, a 10-point plan that focuses on worker engagement around safety. So we always like to say that workers are the sharp end of the stick when it comes to safety. Um, you know, the people who run and lead the companies are usually in offices and far away from the work. And our voice and what we see happening on the shop floor really matters. So that's really been our focus. We also did a... Um, we went back and we looked at the fatalities and life-altering injuries, and we were able to divide those into five categories that then allowed us to focus in on those main hazards, things like hazardous substances, falls from heights, because we have a lot of people that are working in uh, heights in a, in a paper mill, getting caught in a machine or being struck by a piece of a machine. Um, and those are two kind of separate things. And then mobile equipment. So, you know, if you've ever been a paper mill or a box plant or really any kind of manufacturing facility, you know, you'll see a lot of um, moving equipment, tow motors or pieces of equipment that move a, a product from here to there in the facility. And it's really important to keep people safe. We had a lot of fatalities or close um, close fatalities where uh, we almost had people die as a result of of being hit um, by one of those um, one of those machines. So uh, that's where we've really focused in. Um, and then our union also offers um, an effective labor management safety committee workshop which is a piece of that worker voice that I was talking about. And it's really foundational to everything that we do, not only in the paper sector, but in the broader part of the union. But that was something that was available to us. And what it does is, is really um, allow our folks in a union environment to make sure that that health and safety committee is working for them. So if the company has something that they want to do around safety, that they're working with the committee on it first and foremost to make sure that it works for workers. So I know that's a long answer, but um, I'm really passionate about it. Um, I'm passionate about, um, you know, making sure that our members go home after every shift. I love the passion. And that's one of the reasons we have you on about this very topic. Um, I, I think it's essential to educate the public 
um, about what is being done, what still needs to be done, because that's how you you know you started talking about this. How common are these trends um, in these fa- with fatalities and life altering injuries? You mentioned hazardous substances, falls, being caught in machines, struck by equipment in a machine mm-hmm. or mobile equipment. That would all come, I, I would guess, under the umbrella of pedestrian safety. So, how common are those trends first, and why is it essential to have a sector specific plan? Yeah, so first of all, you know, unfortunately, those trends are very common. Um, If we have a fatality, um, it usually will line up within one of those five areas. Um, And it's the reason why it's important to have a a paper sector, you know, or any other sector focused approach to safety is that there's certain things that happen within a facility that may not happen within another type of facility. Although they're all manufacturing facilities and they all take something, right? If you think about it and they, they take it through a process and like with steel or paper, it's rolled, even with rubber, it's, it's flattened, it's rolled and it's put out the door in a finished product. Um, There are different processes around that that are really important so um and for us in paper there's just and we've worked hard with the industry on this for example machine guarding so if you're you know get caught in a machine um what are we doing to make sure that there's that we're we're limiting that hazard and we do hazard mapping so our groups within a facility they work with management and they they map the the hazards within a facility and the key question they ask themselves is is if my kid or my grandkid was working in this facility what would i want them to be aware of right Mm. what would i be worried about happening to them in this facility when they're looking at any part of the facility um, and it's really important to have fresh eyes too. So with, in some of our councils with our companies, you know, we have people come in from other plants to look at another plant so that they're looking at things that are, um, that are new. They have a fresh set of eyes, right? And they can see things that maybe someone who's worked around that machine forever may not see. Um, and, and our members are really, really good at getting work done. And right. we'll figure hold, out how to do thought, something. Hold that thought, uh, Vice President Foster. Hold that thought. We're going to take a break. But I, I, I'm, I'm very interested in this because um, something my husband as a physician always taught me to say is, ask the doctor, what would you do if it was your son or daughter? And what you're saying is exactly that, right? You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're saying, first of all, look to them because they're there. They know what's going on. They're there. They're in that factory. They're on that floor. They're, they're at the plant. Um, and then secondly... You know, what would you do if this were your relative, your family? We'll be back with Vice President Leanne Foster, International Vice President of the United Steelworkers. Check out their website, USW.org, and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Steelworkers Back Back with Leanne Foster, International Vice President of the United Steelworkers. Like I said, North America's largest industrial union, 1.2 million members, and that's not just in the U.S., Canada, and the Caribbean. We're talking about workplace health and safety, a holistic approach to that. Please check out their website for more information, usw.org. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram, at Steelworkers. Uh, Vice President Foster, apologies for interrupting. Um, We were talking about 
how common these fatalities or life-altering injuries are. We were talking about the sector-specific plan, but you were also talking about how the employer needs to communicate with and rely on the workers to convey to the employers, like you said, who are not on the floor, but not even, you know, at the site necessarily, they might be in a different city, you know, in an, an office, you know, 50 stories up, um, you know, as to what, what would make this place safer for them as workers, because they're there day in and day out, they're hands on, they see what could uh, become an accident. They they see what might be dangerous or is dangerous to them and other workers. Yeah, and it's it's like we were saying, it's important to have the worker voice and make sure that that's part of the process. And um, you know, oftentimes um, it's it's getting better now. But when we first started down the path of our program, we really had a behavioral based based approach in the in our sector. So if if something happened where someone was injured, it was a it was the worker's fault. And we're moving now more towards a systems of safety approach. So if we're all human beings, right? So if uh, we make a mistake, we can fail and fail safely um, at work. So we're working a lot with a lot of employers to map hazards in a facility to make sure that systems are put in place so that if a worker does fail, they fail safely. Um, another key part of our plan is what we call the right to act, which is basically the right to stop the job, which which workers have under OSHA. But, you know, we take it a step further and we put a process in place for someone to stop a job. So not only, a, you know, as a worker, am I thinking, oh, I may or may not have this right to actually stop a job that OSHA may decide you know, six or 12 months later that it was okay for me to stop that job. No, I actually have a process where, you know, I can go to my union steward and say, this feels unsafe to me. And my union steward can bring it forward uh, to the supervisor um, on the floor. And if it needs to go all the way up to the mill or the plant manager and my local union president, that can happen. Um, and so we've put those processes in place across the industry. And it's just another way to, to bring uh, the worker's voice, the worker's perspective, they will know if a job feels safe or not. Um, and we need to depend on that voice in the workplace. You know, um, uh, one of the things in reading the materials before today's interview, I was impressed with, and I didn't know about this, um, and I think it's essential for us to touch uh, touch upon this. Um, the USW has been making important strides in other areas when it comes to health and to safety. And one way, the one I'm talking about right now is through helping workers who are facing the threat of intimate partner violence. Um, you know, talk to us about that because we've seen uh, numbers across the board, and I don't think we realize in the workplace about these workers and protections from unions for their workers. You know, we know that domestic violence has increased significantly, especially during the pandemic and since uh, that time. Uh, the American Journal of Emergency Medicine said that domestic violence cases increased by 25 to 33 percent. And that's not just here in the United States. That's worldwide. Um, and the National Commission on COVID-19 and Criminal Justice, they show an increase in the U.S., by a little over 8% um, after we had those lockdowns in 2020. Can you speak to us um, about the USW helping its workers who are facing the threat of intimate partner violence? Absolutely. And, you know, our international president, Tom Conway, just recently did a blog on yep. this, if people are interested, called Fighting the Shadow of Pandemic, because during COVID, these numbers increased dramatically. And 
it's not just a woman's issue. It's it's. And I'm glad that you highlighted that. It's you know, 20% of women and 14% of men across the U.S. have experienced some kind of severe physical violence from their partner. Um, and so, actually, we learned a lot from our brothers and sisters in Canada who first started um, attacking this issue a few years ago. And we kind of took the language that they were able to achieve, um, you know, changed it a bit for U.S., um, you know, U.S. issues that go on in the U.S. and U.S. language, and then we were able to, um, we've been moving it across the union, um, all sectors of the union, um, and what we want to do is make sure that um, if people are facing this, they're not also worried about losing their job, mm. um, because sometimes it's the financial issue of having a job that can help you break away from a really negative cycle. Um, in your life. And then also, um, it's just the right thing to do, right? Um, to make sure that people have some paid time off. And also that we're not relying on just one source of information for someone who's facing this. Um, you know, our structures and some of our facilities are based on a doctor has to say that you have, you can be off, right? Mm -hmm. um, but when you're dealing with something like this, it should be, you know, a domestic violence shelter person or maybe someone at your church or a counselor that you're seeing that can come forward and can tell the company, look, this person um, needs to be able to have some time away from work to be able to deal with some of the issues that are facing them. And so that's what we've really focused on. Um, but, um, you know, we've also seen that it can have an overflow into the rest of the workers at the facility if um, the situation escalates to the point where uh, the abuser shows up at the workplace we don't want that to be a workplace violence situation that ends up impacting, you know, the health and safety of the other um, members on the mm -hmm. job. So we've negotiated language about, you know, do, do we have a system in place to be able to deal with this? And just the fact that someone can, can feel comfortable, they know there's a policy there so that they can bring something forward allows everyone to think about it in advance and so if something does happen, HR is prepared, our, our local leadership is prepared, and there's a plan in place. Um, and we, we hopefully bring this issue out into the light so that we have uh, people bringing it forward before it spirals out of control. You know, I'm so glad you said this because a lot of people don't think about you know, and and as a woman and having spoken to many women who sadly have been victims of domestic violence, and of course men have as well, I'm just saying my own experience as a woman and women coming to me or contacting me, um, you know, because when people listen to you on radio or watch you, you know, uh, do a radio program, watch you on television, sometimes they feel they know you or they can trust you and seek your advice. It's responsibility. You and your position, leadership position, I'm sure have had that as well. And sometimes the reason... Um, women, especially if they're in a two income home or if they're not the major breadwinner, if they're not making as much as their, um, you know, partner, their husband, their boyfriend, uh, they, they, they will say, I can't leave. You know, where would I go? I can't leave. How would I support myself and my children? So I love uh, I love the um, not just the, the, the safety for them, but the security that they can have with this and that the USW really cares about, hey, 
you need to give them time off and you need to let them know they've got a job to come back to. Speaking of come back to, we're going to come back to you right after this. We're going to take a quick break. And we're going to talk about two recent contracts. Um, you know, unions are just uh, growing now. I think it's awesome. We'll talk about it when we return. back. Happy Friday. Glad to be back with you and glad to have back International Vice President of the United Steelworkers, Ms. Leanne Foster. Ms. Foster um, has served the union for more than 25 years, and she is in the USW's paper sector. Uh, more than 550 locals are under her uh, command, if you will, more than 30 bargaining councils. And uh, we are talking about making and converting paper safely programs that she leads. Um, she also oversees the USW Women of Steel Leadership Development Program. And we're talking about development. We're talking about growth. We're talking about health. We're talking about safety. So let's talk about some of that growth and that development. There are two recent contracts um, the USW has you know, achieved and, and, and succeeded in obtaining with major employers in the paper sector. Adamtar and Packaging Corp of America, that covers over 29 mills and 44 box plants. So you're talking about thousands of workers. Um, let, let's. We were just talking about union, uh, Vice President Foster, union negotiated domestic violence leave. Um, so let's talk about these two recent contracts with these major employers and how these thousands of workers will be impacted by this. Yeah, so like I um, said, they were, we were able to get um, pretty easily, actually. Um, I, think, I think it's an overlooked issue, and once we bring it to employers' attention, they really see the value of making sure that um, there's a policy in place that, so that anyone who's um, – encountering this issue in their life can bring that forward to management and it's dealt with confidentially. Um, and we've even negotiated, not in these two um, agreements, but in other sectors, sectors of our union, we've negotiated language that um, allows, um, actually there's um, labor management training that goes on about how to respond because you were talking earlier, you know, often you, you have people talk to you about these issues and it's, if you don't have any kind of background or training, you're struggling to try to assist them. So in advance, you know, the, the union leadership and management go through some um, education to best assist people when they come forward. And that doesn't substitute them for counselors or anyone else, but it's where, where are the resources that I can um, get this person plugged into to best assist them? Um, and so we've actually done some joint training um, at some steelworker facilities where, um, you know, we've put, put those programs in place. Um, but one of the things I wanted to make sure that I said about this is that, um, you know, it's important to make sure that um, once these are once these policies are bargained, that that members know that they're in place, and um, that we are taking proactive steps to make sure that uh, people access this kind of of leave if they need it, because it's really 
one of the things when we bargained at both Domtar and um, Packaging Corporation of America, um, you know, I was a bit worried that people would see this only as a women's issue. And I wanted to make sure that people understood that um, this type of intimate partner violence affects men as well. But a number of our brothers approached me when we were presenting the issue and said, you know, um, I was impacted by this as a child. You know, I saw my mother survive um, domestic violence, and I don't want to see other kids, you know, have to go through that. I am so thankful that we're putting this on the table. And we learned after we, you know, you learn every time you bargain. And, you know, we were having a lot of the sisters speak up to situations that, they had confronted, but we started having some of our brothers speak out either to them confronting it themselves or them seeing a mother or a sister survive this type of thing. And it really had an impact that it was coming from both our brothers and our sisters at the bargaining table. Uh, Just terrible. Um, You know, when you were talking about time off, you know, I know people probably think, you know, they need time off to go to the doctor, but I mean, there's court appearances if mm-hmm. you're fighting for your child. Um, uh, you know, the, obviously relocation, it takes time to, you know, find a place. If you're in a shelter, you can't stay there forever, right? You have to find a place and, you know, maybe you have to, you know, go buy some furniture and, you know, I mean, relocating takes time. Um, there's counseling and, you know, a lot of counselors work nine to five and you can't necessarily get an appointment during your lunch hour. Um and I love that, you know, the USW is advocating with these two recent contracts and, you know, pushing for and advocating for this in, in other companies that you don't have to take your vacation time. You don't have to take your personal time. And I also like the fact that it doesn't have to be a doctor necessarily uh, that is asking you to be excused from work. It can be that, that, that spiritual leader. It can be the employee at the shelter who is housed your child and you when you've run from this situation. Absolutely. I mean, those kind of things are critical. And, you know, we really did a lot of work. Our, our sisters in Canada, when they first put this together, really did a lot of work of, of, of meeting with survivors and saying, what, what could have helped you through this situation? And that's really what this, this language is built off of. What did, what did those workers need when they confront that situation? And, and how can we stop it from spiraling into something more? And, and so many other things. I mean, uh, vacation pay advances, because a lot of people may say, look, I'm not, I'm not even I'm, I'm going to need that time off, but I need that money now. Right. I don't need that you know, money when I take the time off and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe just take a break from work for a week. And also, I love this request changes to working hours. Because sometimes people get stalked when they're victims, right? Um, or changing the working hours because you need to accommodate a schedule because now you're operating as a single parent, perhaps. Um, and even transferring to alternate work sites, uh, which again can really feed into those changing in hours and changing in location, a person feeling safe uh, in that situation. Yeah, and a lot of people, you know, in society today forget that there's a large portion of of America that works shifts, you know, and it's not easy to just change a shift. Um, It's it's very, um, you know, strict 
within the facility of of working hours and what hours you work. So providing that flexibility to people who work shift is critical. Um, and, you know, what we've been able to do on this, I think, is, is going to change and help uh, a lot of lives moving forward. Well, it's the right thing to do. Um, it truly is workplace health and safety. It is a you know health and safety issue. You mentioned that they're doing this in Canada. We're doing this here in the United States. Um, and not just in the paper sector, other sectors um, within the USW, th- th- this important language and protections for these individuals, these are also being negotiated, you know, pretty much across the board. Am I correct? That's right. That's right. It's a, it's a main initiative of our union, especially coming out of our convention um, last month. That, that, that's excellent. You know, it, it, and what um, what prompted it? Did, did you I, I mean, you know, I know you said you, you know, you looked to Canada, but, you know, did the conversation was it these numbers after the pandemic that were increasing and, you know, you were hearing from uh, the union workers or maybe seeing increased absences that the employers noticed, you know, or, you know, people reported seeing people injured with bruises or things like that? You know, what really prompted it for me um, and, you know, caused me to really think we really need to put this on the table is, you know, first, our sisters in Canada that developed the language and our district six director at that time, he's now our Canadian national director, Marty Warren. He talked about it at our board meeting. Um, I didn't have a lot of big contracts coming up. And then so I really didn't have the opportunity to put it on the table. Then after COVID, like you said, we saw all the numbers rise, and I had a conversation with one of our sisters who's in leadership. Um, her name is Teresa Cassidy. She wouldn't mind me saying her name. She's in a video that we actually uh, used to introduce this language at the table. Um, she is an assistant to our uh, director, Donnie Blatt, in District 1, which is Ohio, and she's a domestic violence survivor. And we just happened to be discussing, you know, this language, and she told me her story and um, how, luckily enough, she had a supervisor. She was new at the job, um, and she had a supervisor that was very understanding and helped her navigate through the situation and helped set up a place for her to hide in case her um, abuser came into the workplace. Amazing. But, it, but if she wouldn't have had that supervisor, what challenges would she have faced, right? And she was new right. on the job. She was nervous about bringing anything forward because she was nervous about what people would think about her, right. if she would be viewed differently, if she could lose her job. And so we really worked a lot with Teresa to really look at the language from Canada, and it was excellent, and think through, okay, does this hit everything? And, 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 that's, um, what, and, and that's what needs to be done here. Apologies. Mm-hmm. Once again, we have to take another break. We'll be right back. We'll continue our conversation with this and other uh, holistic health and safety protections that the USW is advocating. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. And we are talking with International Vice President of the United Steelworkers, Ms. Leanne Foster. Uh, Vice President Foster, um, again, uh, apologies for having the interruption. You were telling us about Teresa in the state of Ohio, a domestic violence survivor. 
and how she had an understanding supervisor. And when you said, but what if she hadn't, hadn't, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly what was going through my head. And so, you know, this is necessary, you know, to ensure that. So uh, please finish your remarks on that before we move on. Well, thanks for the opportunity to do that. I mean, I just want to recognize Teresa for her bravery and stepping out and being willing to tell her story um, in a video that we've been able to share with members at district conferences, at, um, you know, executive board meetings, um, at council meetings, and we've also used it as a way to present the issue at the bargaining table. So, um, she and others like her who have survived this and have stepped up to try to make sure that other people don't have to go through trying to go through this maze and wondering what to do when this happens to them. Again, I just think having the policy in place um, can be life-changing for people. Absolutely. Uh, the Department of Labor estimated that domestic violence victims lose nearly 8 million days of paid work per year. So this isn't just helpful to the employees, it's helpful to the employers as well. And you had mentioned earlier, because this doesn't just affect necessarily the victim um, and the health and the safety of that victim. You also pointed out, uh, you know, uh, uh, rightly so, that the health and safety of other workers uh, can be Affected. I mean, if somebody is 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 distracted because of what you know they're going through, that could lead uh, you know to a problem, right? Um, and it, t- talk to us about the U.S. members who um, even receive training how to help advocate for their peers, help connect them with community resources, and intervene with management uh, when needed. Yeah. So uh, we haven't been able to achieve this in the paper sector yet, but in in some of our other sectors and um, definitely in Canada, they have put a program in place where, um, you know, at at different companies, um, people are trained to be able to to facilitate resources for survivors when they step up and say, hey, this is happening to me. And it's really important that it not just be HR that's the point person for this, because if you're in work in a really big facility, you may not even know who the HR person is, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But you'd be really comfortable maybe in talking to a union brother or union sister about it. And, you know, um, I've seen some places where they even have, after they go through the training, they have a special sticker on their hard hat. So, um, people know that's the person that I can talk to about this issue. And in one situation that I know of, it's not just about that issue. It's also also if you're experiencing um, any kind of depression or anxiety or mental health issues, um, there's a person there that can help facilitate and push, you know, make sure that you get the right resources. We do a lot of work in the union in negotiating employee assistance programs but sometimes our members don't even know that those exist. So if we have a, someone in the workplace, um, a team in the workplace that knows about those issues and can steer people in the right direction, we can change so many lives and remove the stigma from both, you know, uh, intimate partner violence and mental health issues. Oh, absolutely. I also know that the USW believes in gender equality and the right to a safe workplace, you know, that they go hand in hand. Um, And I know the USW, as I mentioned before the break, is advocating for other holistic health and safety protections. First of all, I just want to say before we move on to those, 
I am so impressed about how, how comprehensive and how thorough these initiatives are in the paper sector and other sectors and like trying to bring more to the paper sector with regard to people who are victims of uh, domestic violence. It's, it's beyond impressive. I mean, it's almost like you haven't left one T not crossed and one I not dotted. Every Everything is there. So talk to us about some of these other holistic health and safety protections. I understand um, you know, you advocate for PPE that fits all body shapes. We don't think of that, do we? We all come, we all come in all different sh- sizes and shapes. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I just want to make a comment about what you said about comprehensive, because I think it reflects what our union really stands for, which is that we have leadership at the top, but we also have our membership, our grassroots membership, and we have great staff, right? And yep. so we have people up and down the chain that are thinking through these issues and thinking through them together so that we don't miss anything. So that's really important. And and any initiatives that we bring forward, any achievements we make are, are a result of that. It's never just one person that brings this kind of stuff about. But we are super excited about this. We rolled it out at the convention. Again, it goes back to our Canadian sisters and our Canadian national office had started to really look at uh, how do we raise the bar on women's health and safety in the workplace? Just, you know, workplaces are different for women. And a lot of the times they're traditionally male-dominated workplaces. And now there be more and more women are moving into those workplaces. And we got to make sure, for example, like you said, that PPE fits everyone. Um, because if if it doesn't, you run the risk of, you know, something getting caught, pulling you into a machine. Um, and we see women like sometimes using duct tape or other things to try to get that, that PPE to fit, fit their body. Um, you know, it, something as simple as making sure that you've got a bathroom that you don't have to walk, um, you know, half a mile to get to. And some of these workplaces are very, very large. Um, they may only have one or two female bathrooms. We've got to make sure that women can get to the bathroom um, so that we prevent them from from developing other, you know, serious um, right. Um, illnesses and then things like motherhood and pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking think pregnancy when you say fits all body shapes. Mm-hmm. I wasn't just thinking, you know, somebody's thinner or heavier. You know, I mean, you know, pre- pregnancy definitely is a different body shape, <laughs> at least for 10 months. Yeah. And all of these issues that we're raising that we're talking about, um, you know, our sisters in Canada put together a guide and we, um, T- took that and and USAIs that and for example there's a a tool for each one of these issues and one of them is a checklist for for pregnant workers um, and you just go through it you know it's very easy to use our our um, health and safety committees can go through each one of these issues and say hey are we doing the best we can for pregnant workers what are some things that we need to be thinking about and um, you know there's other other issues too like um, sexual and other harassment that's going on. There's a tool, tool, um, toolkit for that and a list for that. Um, and just a, a whole, uh, host of other issues. Um, I, and when you mentioned, when you mentioned about. bathroom, I know that you guys also, uh, you know, um, are advocating for shower and change room policies. And, exactly. and that's essential. Mm-hmm. People like, like you said, they've been, you know, you know, dominated, you know, industries and that's rapidly changing and these things have to be addressed. Exactly. And um, we're, we're also um, doing issues around, you know, breastfeeding, for example. So if a woman is breastfeeding she's and she's working in a manufacturing environment, or even if it's a non-manufacturing environment, do you, does she have a private place that she can go 
um, where she can uh, pump and um, that she's got some running water, that she's got a refrigerator there to be able to, to store the breast milk, that type of thing. Um, and I've just been so proud of our brothers and sisters because this is this language is going on the table across the U.S. Uh, mm-hmm. to address this issue. And what it does is it makes a woman feel not only can I work in this workplace, but I can be successful in this workplace. No matter what, you know, what comes up in my life, I can be successful here and I've got support. Um, and that's really, really qu- critical because um, it's not just about coming to work, but it's also being able to thrive at work that really matters in terms of health and safety. Absolutely. And then lastly, opportunities um, to address stress, mental health, a uh, work-life balance. This, this is incredible for the health of this, this employee. Yeah, because women, you know, they face special challenges at work. And mm-hmm. again, like I said, it's all about support, right? So, um, you know, we often have, for us, a second shift of family responsibilities. Um, you know, we've, we're worried about child care um, and all of those kinds of issues and it's helping uh, our sisters balance that load and just making them aware and, again, providing a tool and a checklist. What, what, are, what, what can we do to try to assist around those issues? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we have less than a minute left. What else would you like to say uh, and leave our listeners and viewers with? Uh, I would just like to say just how proud I am to work with all of our members and the steelworkers um, to make these kind of initiatives happen. Um, You know, what you commented on and I underlined about our union, uh, we leave no stone unturned. Um, I'm really proud to be associated with our organization and, uh, and to be a part of the leadership of our organization. And and to lead our members forward on these issues. And, and I just want to say thanks so much for having us on so that we can highlight these issues um, and how important they are to people every day uh, going to work and, and trying to um, maintain their safety, but also a balance in their lives. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to be with us. This is Leanne Fosters, uh, our our guest, International Vice President of the United Steelworkers. You want to hear about this and you want to say, hey, you know, I need somebody like the USW to have my back. If you're an employee, well, check out how you could even become a union member. Go to USW.org and on Twitter and on Instagram, follow them there at Steelworkers. They're not just about steel and they're doing a lot for their employees. You should have this done for you, right? I'm Leslie Marshall. Have a great weekend. We thank Marky Mark Romaldi, our executive producer, and the USW for loaning us uh, their international vice president, uh, Ms. Leanne Foster. Thank you. Have a great and a safe weekend, everybody.